The 2017 collision between the destroyer USS Fitzgerald and a commercial container ship near the coast of Japan continues to bedevil the Navy. The Navy's public but abbreviated summary of its investigation left many questions unanswered. Now, using the classified version of events obtained by Navy Times, ProPublica recently published a comprehensive account of the event, which killed seven sailors. For highlights, Federal News Network's Eric White spoke with senior reporter T. Christian Miller. I've been covering the the military on and off since the beginning of the Iraq War. Um, And as soon as I saw news items about the two collision of the two ships in the um, Seventh Fleet, uh, I began sort of paying attention very peripherally. And then what really caught my attention was um, later on when the military decided to charge the captains of the two ships with uh, a negligent homicide. And in my experience, that was pretty remarkable to charge um, somebody with homicide. And I just kind of, that was what really uh, piqued my interest. And I began going to the court martials uh, and quickly developed a sense that there was a lot more to the story to be told here. And what was it that you found out that you decided had to be told? So one of the things was that there had been a lot of heroism on the ship itself. And I felt like that, that sounds kind of corny, but I, I felt like, that the Navy hadn't done enough justice to uh, the things that had been done right by the sailors uh, on these ships to, to, to save them and to keep them afloat even after these huge collisions. So that was a big motivating factor. Um, but also, you just saw things that um, would show up in the trials uh, that was just kind of, sort of strange. So uh, you had the Navy dropping the negligent homicide charges all of a sudden without any kind of explanation. You know, what, what what was behind that decision was something that was um, uh, interesting to me. And then ultimately in, in talking uh, to different sources I've had over the year and uh, years, um, uh, one of the things that was provided to us was sort of documents that kind of showed what the Navy had done in their investigation. And those documents um, kind of both provided this very riveting narrative about what had happened um, and also things the Navy hadn't really emphasized very much, like um, were there was there proper training on the use of radars on these ships, or were the radars even functioning properly? Um, those were kind of the one of the uh, things that just surprised me. And as I went through, there was just more and more like amazing things, like the navigator of the Fitzgerald had to use a handheld commercial uh, GPS to steer the Fitzgerald home because the Fitzgerald's uh, radar system I mean, and the Fitzgerald's navigation systems had failed after the, the collision. Um, the the the, uh, the person who was in charge of the ship at the time of the collision um, had actually had a previous near miss. Um, the people who were driving the ship at the time of the collision, um, at least the, the the person who actually had her hands on the on the wheel, had never touched uh, a steering wheel before uh, the evening of this collision. So it was, this portrait then comes out of a crew that made mistakes but also a crew that had been set up by higher Navy uh, demands that put these guys to work all the time, left them exhausted and undertrained and uh, ill-prepared for an emergency like the one that occurred. And why do you think that there was no real emphasis by the Navy on those acts of heroism? Is there a sense of embarrassment uh, from the Navy brass? And that's the reason why we haven't seen, A, those acts of heroism that you discussed, and B, the basics surrounding why this ship collision, you know, the reasons going into why it may have occurred. So I don't want to knock the Navy's own. I mean, the Navy did its own investigation. It released a series of of reports that highlighted uh, problems 
but they stopped short, and, and they and they fired uh, a number of individuals in the Seventh Fleet, which is where both of these two ships were operating. Um, so it's not like the Navy sat on their hands and did nothing. I don't want to leave that impression at all. It is a question of whether or not um, they had grappled with fully in these reports with the problem of not having enough sailors on these ships. And that's not an issue that's that's given a, a ton of attention in any of uh, in the Navy's reports. It focuses more on the training aspect or on um, the sort of the maintenance aspect. So it was um, a question of telling the story in a way that really stuck in people's minds and kind of um, told the whole story. And it's, it's, it's just a gripping narrative. And that in itself is a way through telling that narrative to sort of also raise the question was, uh, has the Navy um, done enough to fix the conditions it set? And uh, has the Navy really taken seriously the fact that uh, decisions higher up to cut back on the number of sailors to um, to uh, send send these guys out on missions all the time, and 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 even further back than that, had uh, the Congress itself dealt with the fact that Congress had some responsibility in not really funding the military very well uh, during the the wars, um, sort of like playing uh, catch up all the time with these sequestration, which is the withholding of money, as I'm sure your listeners remember. Um, so it was just a sort of series of like putting these things all together. Uh, was the way to most powerfully tell the story and to most powerfully, you know, alert the public, which I'm not sure sort of paid close attention at how serious a deal these collisions actually were. We're speaking with T. Miller. He is a senior reporter with ProPublica. What were the what was one of the biggest or most memorable stories that you can recall from here from your interviews with survivors and officials who were involved in the investigation? Uh, Just the, the 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 most gripping counts come from the sailors uh, who were trapped in their sleeping quarters when the uh, the cargo ship bashed into the side of the Fitzgerald. And just the, those guys were all asleep. Uh, all of a sudden, there's tens of thousands of gallons of water flowing into this very crowded, very narrow, very claustrophobic feeling sleeping area. And just kind of the astonishing amount of uh, of ability they show to, you know, uh, get up, uh, escape from this very narrow hatch. Um, the ones who were able to escape uh, were helping each other, were kind of pulling each other out of this hatch. Um, the ones who died, there were seven sailors who died in that birthing. Uh, all were um, just sort of like young uh, guys who had promising futures and promising careers. And it was just telling of that story of that escape moment from the birthing that really it's like it's sort of very deeply nightmare mare inducing the idea of being trapped in this quickly filling uh, space and having to get out of it really uh, fast before everyone drowns. Yeah, your article starts out by setting the scene of that. And I've got to say, my uh, hands were getting a little bit sweaty reading it, uh, going through that that section. And it's a good reminder, as you were talking about, you know, notifying the public that many people feel, you know, oh, Navy, you know, if they're not in a war zone, you know, it's not dangerous. But no, being on a ship is dangerous in itself. Uh, well, it is dangerous. But one of the things that we encountered over and over and talking to the families of the victims was that, uh, it's dangerous, but you never uh, expect uh, your son or daughter to die on, on, in an accident on a ship. Um, it's it's the these these destroyers specifically are 
are designed to withstand incredible, you know, attacks and damage. Um, so the overriding sort of message we got over and over from parents was how did this happen as an accident where I you know, send my son uh, off to uh, the Navy and I get back a folded flag, which is one of the, one of the comments that we got from one of the parents. Um, so yeah. And also, I think it also gets like the, I mean, the bigger issue for the public is the Navy's out there in uh, off patrolling off the coast of, coasts of North Korea and China, and they're very much fighting uh, a battle, uh, kind of a shadowy battle often, between these um, countries, these nations that uh, have don't have the U.S.'s best interests at heart. So what does the public care about? We care, obviously, about the sailors. What we also care about is our Navy ready to you know, stand and protect us in the case of North Korea shooting off ballistic missiles at an ally, for instance, or, or at us for that matter. So I wanted to also bring home the idea, the connection to the American, average American, why the Navy um, plays such a vital role at this particular juncture. What is the status of the uh, current Navy leadership that was brought or that was seen as at fault for these two collisions? One of them is Vice Admiral Joseph Acoyne. He was the commander of the Seventh Fleet at the time of the collisions. Uh, what's the status on, uh, you know, of what's he saying and uh, where do these, you know, you said the charges were dropped, but are is there going to be any other sort of disciplinary action to come from this down the line? Yeah, sure. So the the uh, the Navy uh, relieved of command a number of individuals in the Seventh Fleet, up to including uh, Admiral Alcoyne. Um, also, uh, they were uh, basically the the, the four star Admiral uh, Admiral Scott Swift, who uh, was in line to uh, take over higher positions, was told he wasn't going to advance, and so he he retired. So uh, the Navy has. Um, taken action uh, and it's basically stopped at that level. Um, the question is whether or not it should have gone any higher. That's a, an open question. Um, the the trials that are against the, 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 the people on the Fitzgerald, they're still, they're in limbo right now because there's been some legal uh, hearings, some legal issues in those hearings. But uh, those two, uh, the captain of the Fitzgerald and a lieutenant on the Fitzgerald, both are still facing uh, criminal charges for um, their conduct uh, that that night. And so that those trials are out there when they will happen. We don't know. T. Christian Miller is a senior reporter with ProPublica speaking with Federal News Network's Eric White. We'll post this interview along with a link to the article and my column at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Pop quiz. What can you buy for $3.99? Not a latte, but for less than the cost of a cup of coffee, you can get all your favorite music ad free. While other streaming services jack up their prices, Live One's membership is only $3.99 per month. And you can lock in that price for a full year. Join now to get the best deal in music with zero ads, unlimited skips, and maximum audio quality. Get the music you love at a price that fits into your budget with Live One Plus. Check out liveone.com slash best music for details. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.